Thanks for being here with us today. My name is Jeremy. I'm the executive director here for our Midtown West Campus. And uh, yeah, really glad that you're with us. If you're new here, or if, uh, I never know how close to stand to the mic, but one day. Um, uh, if you're new, this is your first Sunday. Uh, would love to connect and just meet you. I'll be out at the Midtown Life table afterwards. Would love to just uh, to meet you. So I have a couple of announcements for us before we uh, jump into the sermon. The first is our worship and testimony night. It's coming up uh, in 10 days uh, here next Wednesday uh, at Aiken at 730. Um, and that's just a night for us to get together and celebrate what the Lord is doing, both individually in the lives of people and in the lives of, of our community. And that's something that we've wanted to do for a really long time because uh, we believe it's really important to intentionally stop and, and just take time to remember and celebrate what the Lord is doing in our lives. And that's what gives us faith uh, to believe and trust uh, and to follow him and to where he's leading us in the future. And so um, if you want to go ahead and get that on your calendar for next Wednesday night, we'd love for you guys to join us uh, for that. Uh, the second thing is um, kind of for our volunteers, uh, those that are on the setup team, greeting team, Kid Town Shepherds team, um, this week we're opening up signups for January through March. So kind of like what we did at the beginning of August where we had everybody sign up for one Sunday a month um, for this semester. Uh, we're opening up that for the next three months of next year. So I wanted to just get that on your radar if you're currently a volunteer to just be expecting an email from me or Emily this week so that you guys can go ahead and sign up for serving uh, for January through March of next year. And so at, as part of that, I also wanted to invite, um, if you're not serving on Sundays and you consider Midtown West your church home, uh, would love for you to pray about and consider like what that would look like. Um, because we want everybody uh, to be a part. Everybody has a role here. Um, and there's multiple ways that you can serve, uh, whether that's on the setup team or as a kid town shepherd um, or on the worship and audio video team. And uh, if you're asking like, is there a need? Uh, Cause that's always pretty the first question, like where's the need? Um, there's always a need everywhere. Um, and so we'd love for you, if you're not currently serving anywhere, to just pray about what that might look like. On the coffee table, on the Midtown Life table, there's these sheets um, that say serve at Midtown West. They have a little bit more info on kind of each of the different areas and kind of what the expectations are for that. Um, and then as well as some information, if you scan the QR code, it has even more detailed information about what serving would look like. So for current volunteers, just be on the lookout for that email this week. If you're not serving and would love to, find one of these sheets or find me. Uh, we'd love to have that conversation. So we didn't talk about this. Am I calling you up or am I calling Chris? You? Reader. All right, Chris Pritchett, ladies and gentlemen. Bear with me, the scripture is quite long, so. The scripture text is Nehemiah 12, 27 through 47. In the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought the Levites in all their places to bring them to Jerusalem to celebrate the dedication with gladness, with thanksgivings and with singing, with cymbals, harps, and lyres. And the sons of the singers gathered together from the district surrounding Jerusalem and from the village of the Neophathites and from Beth Gilgal and from the region of Geba and Asmapheth, for the singers had built for themselves villages around Jerusalem. And the priests and the Levites purified themselves and they purified the people and the gates and the wall. 
Then I brought the leaders of Judah up onto the wall and appointed two great choirs that gave thanks. One went to the south on the wall to the dung gate, and after them went Hushiah and half of the leaders of Judah, and Azariah, Ezra, Meshulam, Judah, Benjamin, Shemaiah, and Jeremiah, and certain of the priest's sons with trumpets, Zechariah, the son of Jonathan, son of Shemaiah, son of Mataniah, son of Micaiah, son of Zachar, son of Asaph, and his relatives, Shemaiah, Azrael, Melali, Gilali, Mai, Nathaniel, Judah, and Hanai, with the musical instruments of David and the man of God. And Ezra, the scribe, went before them. At the fountain gate, they went up straight before them by the stairs of the city of David, at the accent of the wall above the house of David to the water gate on the east. The other choir of those who gave thanks went to the north, and I followed them with half of the people on the wall above the tower of the ovens to the broad wall and above the gate of Ephraim and by the gate of Yeshanah and by the fish gate and the tower of Hananel and the tower of the hundred to the sheep gate. And they came to a halt at the gate of the guard. So both choirs of those who gave thanks stood in the house of God. And I and I and half of the officials with me and the priests Elikim, Messiah, Minamin, Micaiah, Elonai, Zechariah, and Hananiah with trumpets, and Messiah, Shemaiah, Eleazar, Uzi, Jehonanan, Melchijah, Elam, and Ezer, and the singers sang with Jezariah as their leader. And they offered great sacrifices that day and rejoiced, for God had made them rejoice with great joy. The women and children also rejoiced, and the joy of Jerusalem was heard far away. On that day, men were appointed over the stone rooms, the contributions, the first fruits, and the tithes, to gather into, the, into them the portions required by the law for the priests and for the Levites according to the fields of the towns. For Judah rejoiced over the priests and the Levites who ministered, and they performed the service of their God in the service of purification, as did the singers and the gatekeepers, according to the command of David and his son Solomon. For long ago, in the days of David and Asaph, there were directors of the singers, and there were songs of praise and thanksgiving to God. And all Israel in the days of Zerubbabel and in the days of Nehemiah gave the daily portions for the singers and the gatekeepers, and they set apart that which was for the Levites, and the Levites set apart that which was for the son of Aaron. This is the word of the Lord. There's a lot of speed bumps in that passage. Thanks, Chris. Uh, I'm going to pray for us. Father, we, uh, we come into your presence today, coming from a lot of different places, and thank you that you call us into this place and into this gathering and into corporate worship to shape us and reshape us and reshape us and reshape us and reshape us, Lord. So many ways in which we are um, out in the world, um, the world is happening to us and we are happening to ourselves and we need you to reshape us. And Lord, thank you that you are faithful. Um, as Jess prayed, you are always, always faithful. And so Lord, we celebrate that today. We, 
we come into that faithfulness, we come into your presence in, in the special way that you call us to do so in corporate worship, and we ask that you would um, continue to be faithful, and we thank you for your continued faithfulness in advance to not leave us unchanged, to con- continue to set us free from ourselves and from our, our sin that is always our greatest problem. And, uh, and Lord, lead us more and more into the intimate life abundant with you, and ask that in Jesus' name, amen. So um, how many of y'all are Preds fans? A lot, okay, good. Um, I've been here three years and took our two oldest sons, and that was my first ever Preds game uh, a couple weeks ago. We saw the Islanders game that they won in a shootout. Anybody see that game? Um, But here's what's amazing about that. This was, like, I was thinking about that experience coming into today and what we're talking about in this passage is that I I did not, Brian Bennett was there, um, did not play hockey growing up. I don't even know the rules of hockey. I don't know any hockey players. Never been to a Preds game, never really watched a Preds game. But I'm, I'm here in the arena and all this stuff is happening and it's like I'm the Preds' biggest fan. These guys are like in their 20s and 30s and they're from Canada and Eastern Europe. I have no idea who these guys are and they're out there on the ice and they're, you know, every time a, a gore scold, I'm like, I like it, I love it, I want some more. Come on, y'all, Preds. And then it's like, you know, Juicy's like made a stop and I'm like, blame it on the juice, yeah, yeah, eat. And I'm like the Preds' biggest fan. And what's happening there is that's by design. There's all these liturgies that are drawing you in to be together and to draw you closer to the Preds and to draw you closer to the people in the arena wearing all the Preds gear. And like that, there it is right there. That is corporate worship. Like that is a form of worship. What is happening at the Preds game is we are in these liturgies. We are being shaped by the liturgies of the Nashville Predators. And we are becoming Preds fans. We are becoming close to each other. That's why, you know, people who don't even know each other can turn around and high-five each other and, and hug even. Um, I didn't hug anybody that day. But that's what's happening. And so that, that's where our passage is going is it's the interplay between your hearts and your bodies, your wills and your souls is That's what worship is. It's these liturgies that God gives us. Liturgies are like these rhythms, these disciplines. That's a big churchy word, but that's really what that means. Um, I'm going to actually start my timer. I'm going to try to go shorter today because of communion. But um, so that's what's happening in worship. And and what we tend to think, um, because we are are great postmodern individualists, is that um, my heart always leads everything else. And that's what it is to be authentic, is that I'm not going to do anything unless I feel like it, because if I did that, that would be inauthentic. And what the Preds are saying to you and what Scripture is saying to you is that that is actually a very poor way to live. It's actually very foolish. It's unwise, because our hearts cannot be trusted to lead us into all the things that we need to be led into. And there are times, like in this passage, where, um, I mean, you heard, you heard a lot of names, but what you also heard in between all those hard to pronounce names was the people were, this is the high point of this entire book. The whole book is about how God had supernaturally orchestrated through all these ordinary means and extraordinary means for this wall to be built around Jerusalem in 52 days. And so that's what we are celebrating here is this is the dedication of the wall. This is this great time of great rejoicing where everybody's going nuts 
And so sometimes your heart does lead your body, but a lot of times, as we'll see in this passage we get into it, um, we also need to know that our bodies probably more often than not need to lead our hearts. And so um, William Temple, who is uh, an archbishop from long ago, sort of long ago, said uh, adoration or worship is the most selfless emotion of which our nature is capable. And therefore, it's the chief remedy for that self-centeredness, which is our original sin and the source of all actual sin. Adoration is this freedom to get us out of the prison of self-worship. And, and that's what's happening in all of our liturgies of worship is God is saying, you need to go through these motions because you need to be set free from the prison of yourself. And if you're always relying on your feels to lead you where you need to go, you're not, you're going to end up in a ditch. It's not going to end well. And so, um, so that's what we're getting into today. And that's what's going to lead us to the, the communion table. So first, um, like the, the majority of this passage, verses 27 through 43, we're going to look at that first. Um, it's the dedication of the wall. What are, what are we here to talk about? What are we here to celebrate? It's the, the celebration, the, the thanksgiving, the singing loud praises, the shouting, the clapping, the marching, the playing instruments. It's everything. Um, and so what these people are doing is they are looking at what God did. And they said, look at what you've done. You have made this possible. You have made this wall that we are standing on. You have made this possible because we were, we were, we were in trouble. We were, we were low. We had nothing. And now you put it in the hearts of some of these, your people, to make this long, long, long trek, like we talked about toward the beginning of the series, um, to see Nehemiah and tell him about all the ruin and about all the problems and all the, the hardships that are facing your people. Like, th that's a long trip. And you put it in the hearts of these guys and say, this is so important, we have to do this. And then when they got there and they told Nehemiah, you put it into his heart to say, this is so important, I've got to do something about it. And he prayed and he met with the Lord. And then you put Artaxerxes on the throne and you put it into his heart to receive Nehemiah when Nehemiah came to him. And that was like a real big roll of the dice is like, I'm going to ask this from you and you may put me to death. And I'm asking you to leave this lap of luxury and go into ruin and he said, okay, yeah, let's do it. And I'm going to give you a letter. And I'm going to undo the things that I said I would do before. And all these amazing things are happening. And then it's like you, you allow us to make the journey safely. You allow us to like rally all the people who are just in despair and self-centeredness and all separate in their own places. You brought all the people together. That's not something Nehemiah could do by himself. And you put it in their hearts to work hard and to build. And even when opposition came from without, even when the enemies who surrounded us came and tried to intimidate us and fight us, you, you've held them off and you allowed us to finish. And then when the enemies came from within and we started, we started acting like those enemies outside, um, you changed our hearts and you allowed this to happen and you allowed us to happen so fast, 52 days to build this, this wall around the entire city. So that's what they are, are celebrating of like the specific acts of God's faithfulness that they're thanking him for these specific things. And so we gotta ask, why is this such a big deal? Why are they celebrating this so much? And it's because um, it, the answer to our question is where these two choirs end up um, at the end of their procession. So it's, it's easy to miss amongst all the names. I'm like, Lord, do you have a sense of humor with this? But um, 
these two huge choirs, they went and gathered all these singers, all the priests from all the surrounding towns and said, hey, you got to come in. This is like the big celebration. And they got there and they divided them into two choirs and they sent them around opposite sides of the wall. And so they were, they were walking around the wall in opposite directions, covering the full length of the wall, singing praises to God, and then coming in together. And, and it says where they stopped is in the house of God. And that's why we're celebrating this wall being finished. Because what this wall represents, we've said this before, is this is the security, this is the boundaries, this is what we need to actually be able to go into the temple and have communion with God. Because without this wall around us, we don't have the protection we need. Our hearts are always going to be far from this because we're always going to be worried. Uh, we're not going to want to come and live in the city. The city is going to be destitute and worship is not going to happen. Communion is not going to happen even though we have the temple. And so now that this wall is finished, this is why we celebrate. And so if you think about it, um, that's actually why we celebrate God's faithfulness to us at Midtown West. It's not because the organizational church is so important. But it's, it, it's, you know, this is the boundary around which the thing that is so, it is the thing. It is the most important thing, which is the people of God communing with God together. Um, so here's something that if you don't know this, uh, this will blow your mind. 1 Corinthians 3.16 says, some things have changed since Nehemiah. And listen to this. Do you not know, you collective you, like y'all, do y'all not know, the people of God, that you are God's temple and God's spirit dwells in you? God's spirit does not dwell in Aiken Elementary School, in this sanctuary. God's spirit makes its home in each of our souls. He dwells in us collectively. He dwells in us individually, but we are now the temple. Um, Ephesians 2.22, Paul says it again like this. In Christ Jesus, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So that's why this matters, because this is the boundary lines. This is the protection. This is the, the regularity of worship and these rhythms, not all the rhythms, but um, some of these corporate rhythms that we have. Um, that's why we celebrate God's faithfulness to Midtown West. And so um, what I want to ask us to do now is everybody stand up. We're going to do a little exercise. It says here that um, the joy of Jerusalem was heard far away that day. So people from far outside the city were hearing them celebrate, hearing them worship and thank God for everything that he had done. And so what I want to do is, is this, what we're about to do, I want this to feel ridiculous. I even kind of want this to be ridiculous. Um, but we are going to thank God for some specific things that he has done in, in making this possible. And I want us to do this in a way that I know for 99% of y'all is not normal feeling. Um, and I know that because we're in a PCA church. Um, but I want us to celebrate the way that you'd celebrate when the Preds score a goal because that's worship. And this is important. So I want you to be ridiculous. If you want to yell noises, if you want to yell yes or amen or thank you and clap. So let's get a practice in. <laughs> Woo! Come on. Okay, so, so I'm going to share some things that are worth uh, worshiping God for and saying thank you for, okay? And then we're just going to go nuts after every one. Okay, so think about this. We planted this church in a pandemic, okay? Think about this. Aiken Elementary School was the first place, it was the number one place that we had circled 
that we wanted to meet in, and it was a no. And for two years, we searched everywhere, it felt like, and guess where we ended up? Aiken Elementary School. Come on. And think about this, in a time when uh, people are not gathering to worship anymore, when like the, the attendance that people are seeing in corporate worship service is just dropping left and right, ours is growing. It's growing. Like people are coming here to worship. Okay, y'all can sit down. Thank you for humoring me in that. But you know what that is? That's an example of what I'm talking about. If we never do something like that, if, if I or Jess or we never lead you into something like that, it's not going to happen. Because we have to be formed by physical liturgies. So now that you know that it's okay to do that, it's, it's okay to show exuberant praise and worship to the Lord, it's like a stretching exercise. Like now our range of motion has been increased. <laughs> Maybe it's not going to feel like that when you do that on your own. Um, but it's maybe the needle's been tipped to go a little further in that direction. So that's, that's what we're talking about here is these, these liturgies shape us and form us. And, and that's the question is, I mean, until this moment right here, which may have felt really awkward and uncomfortable for some of y'all, like how many experiences do you have of worshiping God like that? And if you're like me, the answer is not many. And that's crazy, right? Because God is so faithful. He is so faithful. He is naturally and supernaturally faithful to you and us collectively and me in, in a bazillion different ways that we don't even know half of them. They go right over our head because we're not paying attention, but he is so faithful and so kind. And for me to never get excited about him like that or very rarely get excited about him like that is a sin, it's wrong. It's just, it's a, it's a sign of my heart. And it's not, it's, it's this dual thing. It's this individual sin of like, and I, I want to confess this in front of y'all. You know, I've spent most of my life judging and looking down on churches that would say things like, give the Lord a hand clap. Because I think like, I'm above that. But when you read scripture, that happens a lot. David, the man of God, is out dancing in the streets and his wife is telling him, you look like a fool. You better get inside before people judge you. And he's like, you know what? I'm out here with God. I'm having a moment, okay? That's who I care about. And I'm like, man, that is convicting to me. All through the Psalms, I'm shouting and clapping, and I don't do any of that. And it's not because it's wrong now. It's not because Jesus said, hey, now in the new covenant, I don't want y'all to show any emotion anymore. There should be more, right? Because Jesus, like the one that we celebrate, the one that we worship, but I don't. Because I care more about what you think about me than I do about worshiping my Jesus. And that's just wrong. And so it's like my sin, but it's also our collective sin because we haven't formed us well. This, this little neighborhood of the church, the Big C Church, um, we do some things really well. We don't do that really well. And so that's, that's on us. That's on us, the church. Um, but we don't want to stay there, right? I don't want to stay there. And so we move into to verse 44, 40, 40, 40. Uh, 44 is in this place, this was a day when their hearts were leading their bodies. Um, but they knew 
that that is not a place to stay. And so they were making provisions on that day that they were so excited for their bodies to lead their hearts going forward. Listen to this. On that day, the day that they were so fired up, men were appointed over the storerooms, contributions, first fruits, and the tithes to gather into them the portions required by the law for the priests and for the Levites according to the fields of the towns. For Judah rejoiced over the priests and the Levites who ministered. So what was happening was they were saying, you know what, we're not always going to feel like this, and we've gotten into a lot of trouble by neglecting worship. We've neglected the things of God, we've neglected worship, and so now on this day when we are sane and sober and in our right minds, we are going to make provisions for worship from now on. We're going to put people in charge that it's their job going forward. We are going to worship God and we're going to prioritize the worship of God. And so it's like, you know, to do that, to think about worship that way, it's like learning the scales on an instrument so that you can play uh, from the heart. That's what allows you to play from the heart. It's like in a sport when you practice the same thing over and over and over again, muscle memory, it's what allows you to play from the heart in the moment and respond to the game situations. Um, Listen to this from James K.A. Smith. The orientation of the heart happens from the bottom up through the formation of our habits of desire. Learning to love God takes practice. That's what, we need to know that. That's not a natural, we don't normally think like that, but that's so true. Learning to love God takes practice. In worship, we don't just come to show God our devotion and give him our praise. We're called to worship because in this encounter, God remakes and molds us top down. Worship is the arena in which God recalibrates our hearts reforms our desires and rehabituates our loves. Worship isn't just something we do, it's where God does something to us. Worship is the heart of discipleship because it is the gymnasium in which God retrains our hearts. And so that's like the call to worship today. I don't know what that felt like for y'all, but that was not something we made up. That was straight out of scripture. That was uh, Psalm, I think it was 136. But to repeat that refrain over and over and over and over, like maybe that felt monotonous. But, that, but those kind of things are so important because I, I need to take, what that's doing is that's taking my feelings, my life, my experience, my thoughts, my understanding, and it is funneling it into this truth funnel of like, okay, yes, and your steadfast love is forever. Okay, maybe I feel like this today, but your steadfast love is forever. And over and over and over again, it's like I'm wanting to go somewhere else, and it's like God taking me by the face like one of my sons and, and bringing me back to this. And so it's, we're being formed by these liturgies. That's why we do um, one of the reasons we do Thursday prayer. And I would, I would encourage you all to come. We say it every week. Rarely do new people come. So I don't know what that's all about. I do know what it's all about. Um, but please be a part of that because we have, we have these corporate rhythms, these liturgies that are shaping us. And if we're not being shaped by those kind of liturgies, we're being shaped by other liturgies. We're actually being deformed. We're being misshapen. Um, and, th- and that's like, if you just think about like drinking from the, the water of the culture that we swim in, it's a lot of deforming because what do we do? We just, we scroll, we just consume we, we never really engage. We're always just like a little standoffish, just a little bit back in this safe space where I don't ever have to look foolish. I don't ever have to go out on a limb. I don't have to engage my voice or my body or my will. I just 
exist and kind of let life just flow over me. And I'm just shaped, kind of just this picture of like floating in a, a river and just let it like carry me. And that's, that's what's shaping us if we're not actively pushing back against the current and having these individual and corporate liturgies. And that's, that's true. It's, it's not just something that happens corporately. It's something that happens individually too. And that's why maybe when you come in here uh, a lot of times for corporate worship, your heart's just not there. And it's because you've spent the entire week leading up to this moment misshaping yourself and deforming yourself through other kinds of liturgies. So it's like I'm not even in a place where I can receive what's happening because of the ways that I've been misshaping myself throughout the week. And so um, we get down to the, the last few verses here, pointing us back um, to the golden age of God's people. If you notice how many times in this passage as they're celebrating, they're fired up about God, the thing that they keep, the name that they keep saying over and over again, what, what name did you catch in there several times? What's a name that you recognized in there and can pronounce? David, yeah, David. Everything they did, it was like, oh yeah, yeah, we did this like David did. Yeah, we had all the same wor the instruments for worship that David had. Oh yeah, and we were singing like David did, and we had all these things, we did these things just like David did. And the reason they're saying that is what they are saying is, is they are um, longing to be connected with a time when people were really communing with God, and he was really showing up in their midst, and they're really seeing the fruit of that. And they're like, we want to go back there. We want to try. We are pouring over the scriptures, looking at when the first temple was built, when Solomon built the first temple and dedicated that. Actually, if you read those accounts in Chronicles and Kings, it's what they're doing here is a total, uh, they just ripped right out of the pages of that time when the first temple was dedicated. They're trying so hard to do it just like that to say, maybe if, we, if we're obedient and we do it just like this, then the Lord's going to bless us like he blessed David and Solomon and all of his people during that time. And really what they're, they didn't know it, but what they were trying to do is to go back, to go, it's like going back to the future. They were trying to go back to go forward to Jesus. Um, C.S. Lewis captures uh, what they were, what was going on in their hearts and what goes on in our hearts very well with this quote that you may be familiar with. He says, in speaking of this like desire for our own far off country, something that's like just over the ridge in which we find ourselves, um, I'm almost committing an indecency because I'm trying to rip open the inconsolable secret in each one of you, the secret that hurts so much that you take your revenge on it by calling it things like nostalgia and romanticism and adolescence. The places in which we thought this object of our desire was located will betray us if we trust to them because it wasn't in them. It only came through them. And what came through them was longing. These things, the beauty, the memories from our past are good images of what we really desire, but, they, but if they're mistaken for the thing itself, they turn into dumb idols, breaking the hearts of their worshipers. For they are not the thing itself. They're only the scent of a flower that we have not found, the echo of a tune that we have not heard, news from a country we have never yet visited. What the people were doing here in this passage were saying, man, we... We are longing for this thing that's back there. But the thing is, it's really, it wasn't the thing that's back there. It's this thing that they hadn't seen yet. And it was going back to go forward to Jesus. 
all of these, you look at what they were doing, they were, they were s- sacrificing great sacrifices like, um, and, and the purification that came with those sacrifices, the blood of these animal sacrifices were being sprinkled on the people so they could be purified and come into God's presence and worship. And they got that from the pages of history because David did that and Solomon did that. And they're like, that's right and that's good. We want to go back there. But what they're really wanting is to go forward to what those sacrifices represent, which is the one whose blood would be shed so that they could be pure and have this communion with God forever and have new hearts, new hearts and new desires for the first time that they really do. There are times when their hearts lead them into worship because they really are capable of loving God and obeying him from the heart for the first time. And so this is where we go with communion, is we're going back to the future. This is a practice that Jesus said, I want you to do this for, until I return. And we're going back because we're saying we want to be faithful to God. We want to be faithful to what he says in his word. But what we're really doing is we're going forward. We're saying our hearts are longing for something. And, and what our hearts are longing for is this thing that we've never seen yet. We haven't tasted it yet. We've only gotten little tiny glimpses and tastes. But it's the one who is, has come, he will return. And it's this real communion with him. This, this is a real communion with him. There's a mysterious way in which Jesus is, is very clear that we are communing with him um, in a spiritual way when we come and we take this meal. Um, but there is a deeper communion that is coming where we will see his face. We will, we will celebrate the wedding feast to end all wedding feasts for all time, and we will be with him forever, and there's no sin and nothing that will separate us from him. So if you think about what we've been talking about worship, um, your hearts, my heart, will very rarely lead me to this table because um, my pride will lead me to stay in my seat because I don't think I need anything. Or my despair will lead me to stay in my seat because I think I'm so heinous that there's no way that this is true, that God wants to have this kind of relationship of intimacy with me. Or at least not until I can perfect myself and get better. And if you're like me, those two things somehow magically happen at the exact same time. I'm a total arrogant jerk and am so despairing that uh, it's, it's a real fun place to live. Um, but that's why we have this practice. God says to, to, you know, Jesus said, keep this meal. You need to come to this meal. I'm commanding you to come to this meal because you will not come if you wait for your heart to lead you. And here's why we can come. See, we have this, this confusion, like I said at the beginning, um, of what it is to be authentic. And we don't want to do things unless we feel like it. But he's saying, no, 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 no. That's, that's actually not even helpful. But what it is to be authentic is to know truth and to be in touch with reality, which is my heart is all over the place, and the Lord has given us these liturgies to calibrate it. And here's why we can come to this table. Is Hebrews 10 says this. Uh, talking about the way they used to do things back then. Every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice of sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. It's finished. Waiting from that time until all of his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, feel free to say amen to some of this. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us for after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws on their hearts, write them on their minds. He then adds, 
I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. Therefore, brothers, since we have a confidence, we have confidence to enter into the holy places. Remember, you are the temple. We collectively are the temple. By the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is his own flesh being torn. And since we have a great priest, our Jesus, over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together. That's the liturgy thing. Not neglecting to meet together is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. There is a day coming where we will see Jesus face to face. And until then, we need these liturgies. So this great high priest who has made a way for us is inviting us to this table to commune with him. And, you, and the Holy of Holies is now in us where the spirit dwells. But also as you come to this table, I want you to think about entering the Holy of Holies. You can come boldly into the Holy of Holies, the very place where the presence of God dwells with his people. And you can kneel down in humility and gratitude and have a meal with your Savior an intimate meal with your Savior because he has made it possible and there's nothing left to separate us from him. And so um, I want you to come and in a minute um, we're gonna have our, our worship team lead us uh, to continue worship as we come to this table. But um, when you come, you just kneel down and you can ask for prayer. That's a normal thing to do. Um, that's another good liturgy. But um, you can also uh, just put your hands out. You can sit up here as long as you want to, but when you're ready to receive the elements, put your hands out. We'll give them to you. Um, and you can ask for prayer. And if you need uh, gluten-free, hopefully we have that today, but you can ask for that too. And uh, again, this table is for everyone who knows that they need a Savior and that that Savior is Jesus. And so if that's you, even if today's the first time, then come boldly to the Holy of Holies and commune with your Savior. Father, um, thank you for your word. Thank you for um, making provision for us because we're so weak. And we still live in this body of flesh that wants to run from you and rebel against you. And you have even made provision for that. And we don't have to be afraid. Lord, when we run in our own direction, when we sin against you, we can always come boldly back to you, um, knowing that you have forgiven us because the blood of Christ has been shed once and for all, for all sin, past, present, future. Lord, thank you um, Please burn that truth into our hearts and our minds and our bodies uh, today so that we can worship you with uh, loud, joyful praise that can be heard from outside of this place. In Jesus' name, amen.